Well, good morning to you in Maranatha. Our Lord comes. There's a story told of a young boy by the name of Tommy and his little brother, Billy. Little Billy told Tommy, he said, I wish that I could fly. And this Tommy, the older, wiser of the two, said, well, Billy, you can fly. All you have to do is climb up in this tree and jump out and really flap your arms really, really, really hard. And if you'll do that, you'll fly. And little Billy said, really? He said, yeah. And so he climbed a little ways up into the tree and and he jumped and he flapped his arms and, well, you know, right down to the ground he fell a screaming and a crying, and his mother comes rushing out and going, what is the matter, what is the matter, almost hysterical, what's going on? And Tommy just sort of shrugs and says, well, I was just teaching Billy, you can't believe everything somebody tells you. Well, that is a very valuable lesson in life. It's good that we learn it young, I guess, that you just can't believe everything somebody tells you. And nowhere is that more obvious and potentially disastrous, especially in terms of eternal life, than in what the Scriptures teach concerning how are we saved? How do we come to know? How do we have that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? You're going to get lots of advice. There are many authorities. But what I believe... What this church believes, what this Word teaches, is the way that we are saved is we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Now what we're going to believe, or what we're going to look at here in just a little bit, is exactly what must you believe in order to be saved. But this past week, uh, I had uh, an opportunity to have a very interesting dialogue uh, with a cousin of mine on on Facebook. And actually, that conversation on Facebook became the topic of our last Bible study last Tuesday night. We suspended study in Genesis, and and so uh, I took out my iPhone, and and we went over that conversation that I had with my cousin and, and about 30 other people talking about what is salvation and how you're, you're saved. Uh, And what it really, as I read the conversations, as I went over those posts, what it did is it confirmed, what it showed is just how confused and unbiblical people come are when it comes to the truth of what God's Word teach. What shouldn't have surprised me, but it did, is how grounded so many people are in unbiblical truths that the traditions of men, that religious jargon, that old adages have actually come and replaced what the Word of God teaches when it comes especially to salvation. Now, I'm not going to rehash all that we've talked about, and I'm not going to take out my phone and and read each one. Uh, You can go on my Facebook page and pretty much still find it and and see that if 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 you wanted to. But I concluded two things from 
that dialogue from that Facebook page. One that people are just willingly ignorant of what the Scriptures teach and that people will choose church tradition and religious jargon over what the Word of God just so plainly says. Now, I don't understand it, but they must feel comfortable with it. The second thing I concluded is that this church, for me, is a safe haven. It is a harbor of truth, and I praise God for this church and its correct and doctrinal teachings. Praise God for it. I cherish, literally cherish, the liberty and doctrinal position of St. Louis Bible Fellowship. And it's not because I'm the pastor. Hey, this, this doctrinal truth was established long before I got here, folks. But it's the truth that this church has stood for for years and years. And it's not just because of what we stand for and teach scripturally and doctrinally. It's correct. But there's another aspect of, of this church that I appreciate so much. And that is because of the eagerness and the determination of the people in this church to be Bereans and to search the scriptures daily to see if these things be so. That this church, the people, the congregation, those who are members of this local congregation are determined to, de they, they, are, they are set, they are determined to detect truth from error. And they are willing to keep their nose in the book to study to see if these things be so. And they take this position, we take this position with grace. There's no hostility toward people who disagree with us. Might be, you, you, there might be pity, there, there might be uh, sympathy, but there's no hostility. There's no judgment because you don't agree with me. Like in this other, this thing that I had with my cousin, uh, by the end of it, she was witnessing to me. Just because I didn't believe exactly the way, and I didn't think you had to say exactly what she and a whole bunch of others said you have to say in order to be, to be saved. But this church has a great desire to learn, to study, to know the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you something, folks, this morning. There is not an elder, there is not a deacon, there is not a board member. There is not a Sunday school teacher. There is not anyone in this church in authority that would say, don't confuse me with the facts. My mind is made up. There's not a one here that would say that. There's not a person here that if a question was presented and if someone came with an open Bible and with a differing opinion, wouldn't be more than willing to sit and study or with them or would say, there's no point. I know what I believe, and I'm not going to change, so just shut your Bible. There's not a person here that would say that. I appreciate that so very much. And it's not because they're weak in what they believe. You need to understand that. It's because they're strong. They're confident. They're certain what the Word of God teaches but they're also willing that if somebody comes and says, thus saith the Lord, and they are rightly dividing the word of truth, they're going to go, wow, your pastor is that way. 
You bring to me a truth, something that is there and that, that is different from what I've preached, from what I've taught, from what I believe. I am more than willing to make that change if it's the Word of God. And that's the way the body needs to be. So what happened last week? A dear cousin of mine, I'm going to call her Judy, because that's her name, <laughs> posted something on, on Facebook. And, and let me tell you something about Judy. Judy loves God. She has a heart for God's Word. She has a desire to serve Him that is incredible. And I love my cousin. I praise God for her so much. And she posts continually things on Facebook. As a matter of fact, she posted something yesterday, similar to what she posted before, and I went, Faith! And Faith said, don't. Don't. You don't have time? Don't. Okay, so I didn't. But during the week, she posted something that was so egregious, and I think dangerous, doctrinally, that I couldn't let it go. I couldn't let it go. And the point that, that, that she was making uh, was, what must a person do to be saved? And her statement and the statement that others were making is that believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is not enough. Now, then they, they jumped over into James chapter 2 where it talked about the devils believe and they tremble. But then she went on and some others went on to say that it's not enough to believe that Jesus is, is the Son of God. That we must ask Jesus into our hearts in order to be saved. In order to be saved, we must ask Jesus into our hearts or we must pray the sinner's prayer. Some of them went on to say that yeah, in order to be saved, you must live a good life. And some of them took it from there and said, oh, in order to be saved, you must be water baptized. And some of them took it from there and said, oh, you must repent, you must confess. And here in the next few weeks, we're going to be talking a little bit more about, about that aspect of it. And I, I simply asked, because remember, the question was, what must we do to be saved? Now, every one of us understands that works after a person's saved is, are supposed to be done. That we are created unto what? Good works. That a believer's life should be, I mean, it should be so evident that we're believers by the works that we do, by the services that we do, the serving of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that was not the question. And that was not the question I was trying to make. They were saying, what we must do to be saved is you must ask Jesus Christ into your heart to be your Savior. Or you must pray the sinner's prayer. And I just simply ask in, in a very sweet way, where does it say that? Where does it say that? Where is that found in Scripture? Show me chapter and verse. Where does it say you must ask Jesus into your heart or you must pray the sinner's prayer? Folks, 
It's not there. It's not there. And I kept, at several times, I'd ask that question, okay, well, they'd, I'd say, okay, well, that's fine, but just show me chapter and verse. And she finally came back and said, oh, but it's implied. It's implied that you, in order to be saved, you must do something. You must ask Jesus into your heart. Now, folks, that is absolutely putting words in God's mouth. That's what that's doing. I also equate that with works, you doing something to merit, to conclude that salvation. Why is it so hard for man to simply accept God's plan of redemption based on the all-sufficient finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why must we always insist that we must add a caveat. We must add something that we do in order to merit that salvation. I, I wish this morning I had time to read all the responses that I received from people whose intentions, folks, are good. They love God. They desire to serve Him. And maybe I'm being too picky. You, you tell me if I'm being too picky. Not right now, but later. Come to me and tell me if I'm being too picky. But in their minds, there must be demonstrative proof that you've asked Jesus to come into your heart. That you must, be, you must do something to indicate a seriousness in your decision. Matter of fact, I've even heard some people say that if you cannot pinpoint, if you cannot with certainty, remember the time and the place and the circumstances when you asked Jesus into your heart or prayed the sinner's prayer, you're not saved. And my question to them, and I wrote this out, I said, okay, what happens if somebody has never prayed the sinner's prayer what if, what if somebody has never said, Lord, uh, I invite you into my heart. What if a person never asked Jesus to come into their heart, yet they believe that he's the Son of God. They believe that Christ Jesus died on the cross. They believe that he was buried. They believe that he rose again. They believe that he is Lord. But they've never said, Lord, I invite you into my heart. Or they've never prayed the sinner's prayer. But they've believed that Jesus saved them. They believed what the scriptures say you have to believe to be saved. Does that mean they're not saved? See, one is a belief. And that's what God tells us we have to do. The other, I think, is a work. Hey, I can believe the sun is going to come up tomorrow. But I cannot do anything to make the sun come up tomorrow. There is a difference between believing that that's going to happen and by faith accepting that that belief that that sun's going to come up tomorrow. But there, I can't make that sun come up. There is nothing I can do to make that sun come up. There is a difference between believing something and making something happen. There are those who believe that when you, you either have to walk down the aisle, 
That's demonstrative. You either have to ask Jesus into your heart or you have to be water baptized. You have to do something to solidify your salvation experience. But folks, what solidifies your salvation experience is the moment you do what God's Word says you must do to be saved, and that's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. What solidifies it, it is the complete and finished work of God Himself that takes the Holy Spirit takes you, places you into the body of Christ, seals you into the day of redemption. It's all based on the work of God. The moment you believe, there's nothing left unfinished. There's nothing left for you to do. By faith you believed that Jesus Christ died for your sins. You believe He was buried. You believe He rose again. You believe. You didn't do anything, but you believed. And that moment, it is God that does all the work. He is the one who has begun His work in you and will perform it. You must believe. But like I ask, what if a person never says, Jesus, come into my heart, but yet they believe with all their heart? Do you see the distinction? Do you see the distinction? When I mentioned to my cousin about believing, she said, well, believing is, is technically doing something. Folks, if you can't see the difference between by faith believing and, and accepting God, by faith at His Word, what God says He will do, and you doing something in addition that includes an active role, You're taking part of the glory away from God and doing what man has always wanted to do is make himself responsible for his salvation and adding, I must do something for this salvation. To me, that is so dangerous. How many people have prayed a sinner's... How many people have asked Jesus to come into their heart, but yet they don't really believe that he died on a cross for their sins, was buried and rose again? You see, I've known people that because that's what they were told they had to do, that's what they did. But they weren't believing the gospel. They weren't believing the good news, and that is Christ Jesus died for your sins. That He is God incarnate. As a matter of fact, she, she said that just believing, and this was yesterday, just believing that that Jesus is the Son of God is not enough. Well, what I was going to do and face it, don't, don't, don't do it. I, I was going to just take her to 1 John 4. Verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. But hereby know you the Spirit of God, And every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Look at 1 John chapter 5. Look at 4.15 first. 1 John 4.15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and 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 he in God. 1 John 5.1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is Christ, is the Christ, is born of God. Everyone that believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, turn to John 3.16. 
Now, folks, we read these writings of John with the understanding in view and light of the Pauline epistles and the Pauline revelation that we have now. That when John was to the, his ministry was to the circumcision, and what Israel had to believe was that Jesus was the Messiah. That when this was written, what they had to do was believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Peter came on and told them there were other things that they had to repent and be baptized. Even Christ himself talked about the works that were involved for Israel in order to be that priestly nation was to believe and be baptized, shall be saved. Uh, But under this present dispensation, looking at these scriptures in light of that special revelation that was given to the Apostle Paul, we read John 3.16, or 15 says, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. And if you ask Jesus into your heart. Wait a minute, that's not there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, we're going to talk about in a second what you believe because it's important. But look at John 3.36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Folks, the Scriptures are just so certain with what must we do to be saved. The bottom line is, To accept Jesus Christ into your heart, besides not being in the Scripture, insinuates more more than just a response to the truth. That you are actively involved in saving yourself. Unless I'm seeing this all wrong. Maybe I am being too nitpicky. But what they insist on doing, as I believe, is taking away from the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Yes, when you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, when you believe in the deity of Christ, when you believe that Jesus Christ came to earth to die for your sins, and you take that personally, when you believe that Christ was buried in you for you, and you, you take that personally. When you believe that He rose from the grave for you, you take that personally. You believe that He was delivered for your offenses, and He was raised again for your justification. You are to take that personally. And I, yes, Jesus does come into your heart. The Holy Spirit sets up residence in your life. But it's because you believed. It's because you trusted. It's because God did that work in your life the moment you believed. It was not because you asked Jesus to come into your heart. You believe the gospel, what Christ had done. Look look at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 1. 1 Corinthians 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. It's the gospel that Paul preached unto them. That's significant. Which also you have received and wherein you stand. By which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you unless you believed in vain or without cause. And the whole 
context of 1 Corinthians 15, if there is no resurrection, then they believe in vain. If there is no resurrection, then you're still in your sins. That's what he's talking about there. Unless you believed in vain, because there's no resurrection. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received, how that Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That is the gospel. That is what a person must believe in order to be saved. The danger is this, that asking Jesus into your heart, but you don't believe the gospel. I know a guy right now that's a pastor. That at some point in his life probably asked Jesus to come into his heart, but when you get together with him, the one thing he'll tell you is, I don't believe in the resurrection. He didn't believe in miracles. He didn't believe that Christ walked on water. That's impossible. He didn't even believe in the virgin birth. Yet he, years ago, years ago, said he asked Jesus into his heart. But which Jesus did he ask? You see what I'm saying? Just doing, he can say, I am saved because I asked Jesus into my heart. That's not what we must do in order to be saved. We must believe that Jesus is God. We must believe that he died on a cross for your sins and rose, rose again. Acts 16, 31. Acts 16, 31. Howard read this a while ago. The Philippian jailer realized that Paul and Silas and the prisoners were, thought they were, had, had fled, that they were free, and he was about to take his life, and Paul says, don't do that, we're all here. He says, verse 30, and he brought them out and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart. No. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. If you're going to paraphrase that, then that goes for your house too. That's the thing that they must do in order to be saved, is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Look at Ephesians. Chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship. It is God who does the solidifying. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this one thing, that he who has begun his good work in you will perform it. There is absolutely nothing you can do to merit your salvation or to stay saved, that it is all the work of God from the moment you believe. Somebody says, well, well, how do you know with certainty that you're saved if you don't do something? Because I believe God. I believe God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
I am not going to be dependent upon me doing any kind of work or action or activity that is going to take away from the amazing grace of God on Calvary's cross dying for my sin. Titus 3.5 says, tells us that it's not by works of righteousness that we've done. See, it's, it's the, that revelation that was given to Paul that emphasizes that salvation by grace apart from any work. And that's so, so critical. It's amazing. The people who jumped into this conversation and made salvation dependent upon something we do. That concerns me. That concerns me. How many other people out there are basically saying you are not complete in Christ until you do something, when that is actually the heart of the gospel of the grace of God that was given to Paul, the, that you are complete in Christ. And it's not until you do something more active at, that, than believe that you are saved. I reject that God needs your help to save you. God does not need your help to save you. You come by faith, believing. You know you're a sinner. One of the people quoted Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. It's true. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And they emphasize the fact that, well, it's a gift. And as a gift... You must do something in order to obtain it. If it's a gift, you must reach over and accept that gift and bring it into your life before it's activated. And, and so, I, I understand that it's a gift. I understand that you must receive that gift. I'm not saying that you don't receive that gift. You don't, expend, you don't accept the truth of that gift, but it's a free gift. What do you do in order to receive it? Does God say, here's the gift of salvation. Now, ask, ask me to come into your heart. Pray the sinner's prayer. I, I, what? No? Okay, you did here. That's not the way it works. And it, there is such a, an evangelical, and, and I'm evangelical, but there's such a denominational embrace of people walking down the aisle, getting baptized, doing something in order to merit salvation, and it's all by the grace of God that we can even believe in that free gift is given to us based on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father delights in taking that person who is lost, who is a sinner, who realizes that, but they believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died on Calvary for their sins, and they believe that He rose again. And it's God who pounces on them, I believe, and says, here is the gift of eternal life. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So do you think God is not there ready to issue, to dispense that grace the moment a person does what he says you need to do? Yes, it, 
you do receive that gift, but you do it not by asking. You do it by believing. Am I being too nitpicky? I don't think so. Then they jump to James 2. Look at James real quick, because that's where they kind of started out. They started out in James about how the devils believe and they tremble. Look at James 2. So the, the, and, and by the way, I, I, I mentioned to my cousin, I said, Judy, the next time I'm home, I said, I, let me come over and I'll bring my Bible and we'll sit down and let's search the Scriptures together. And she said, not interested. She said, no point to it. I know what I believe. And I'm right. God's shown it to me. It's almost a direct quote. That salvation is not just based on works. I mean, based on faith. It's works too. And they run to James chapter 2. And what I want to know is, well, who's James written to? I don't know. Well, the first verse is James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which which are scattered abroad, greeting. So right there we just settled that James is written to the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, when you rightly divide the word, you understand that their salvation was conditional. There were things they had to do. It was under the kingdom program. And James very clearly says that faith without works is dead. Verse 24 of James chapter 2. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Boy, that's pretty powerful. The problem is, in Romans chapter 3 and chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says absolutely the opposite of that. Says the opposite. Matter of fact, I don't want to leave you wondering. Look at Romans chapter 3. Verse 28. Romans chapter 3, 28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. That's the very opposite of what James just said. What's the answer? They're writing two different dispensations, two different programs. Look at at Romans chapter 4, verse 4. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Exactly the opposite. So in order to know what you must do to be saved, you need to understand which dispensation, which program, which gospel is being declared, and which gospel you accept. How important that is. Under the kingdom program, works were required. That's why Peter told them on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Even the Lord Jesus told the nation of Israel and those that were there, said, he whosoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Had everything to do with him becoming the kingdom priest and then believing that he is the Messiah. But Israel was temporarily blinded, set aside, and God in his infinite grace and mercy included Israel in unbelief that he could have mercy on all and by grace, by grace. I think the thing that just disturbs me the most is people are not willing. They absolutely refuse to sit down with open Bibles and search the Scriptures. When Judy said there was no point, well, if there's no other reason than to straighten me out, 
there's the point. Or you say, well, I'm not even going to get into that. So there are two questions that are paramount. Number one, what is salvation? Number two is how are you saved? To be saved means to be brought into a right relationship with God. Redeemed is more than just being forgiven. Being redeemed is much more than just being delivered from the penalty of sin. Yes, that's great. That is wonderful. But to be redeemed means that your standing before God changes completely. You are a new creation in Christ. Romans chapter 6 tells us that the old man is crucified with Christ. That old man, that Adam, you were in Adam we all die, in Christ we're made alive. In the old man, Adam, your, your old man, that relationship, it was crucified with Christ. Hallelujah for that. And just as Christ died and rose again, you're to consider yourself dead and risen and seated at the right hand of the Father. That's what Romans 6 teaches. Galatians 2.20 tells us that I am crucified with Christ, yet not I but Christ lives in me. That is what salvation is. That position is that you are crucified, you are in Christ. Look at Galatians 2. We're almost done here, folks. Galatians 2, chapter 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be declared righteous, we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by works of the law, for the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Don't tell me that I have to do anything other than what the Bible says I have to do, and that is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that He died for me, believe that He was buried and that He rose again. My salvation is not even based on what I believe in. Yes, faith, I have to demonstrate faith, that's believing. But the only reason my faith has merit, the only reason that my faith has substance, the only reason that my faith can, can bring about that salvation is because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. I am declared righteous. I am justified, not because of my faith in anything, but because of the faith, first of all, foremost, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by faith, I believe that. By faith, I believe His faithfulness to Calvary. By faith, I believe His faithfulness to the tomb. By faith, I believe He rose from the dead. That's where my salvation is. That's what my salvation is based on. I believe the gospel. Well, you need to pray the sinner's prayer. Listen, so many versions of the sinner's prayer, it's good. It contains the essence but don't tell me that's what I have to do in order to be saved. A person is walking down the street and he is under conviction by the Holy Spirit and he is thinking about it. And as he walks down the street, he just says, I believe, Lord, that you died for me. And boom, he's run over. But wait a minute, he never got around to asking Jesus into his heart. He never got around to pulling out the sinner's prayer and reading it. Do you see the difference? Am I being too nitpicky? 
I'm hoping you're saying, boy, you're right on with what the Word of God says. You're saved this morning by the amazing grace of our loving God through the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ. By grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior this morning? Have you believed that Christ died for your sins? You believe that He is God incarnate. Not just a good teacher who walked on earth a couple thousand years ago. Not just a prophet. But He's God in the flesh. If you believe that He rose from the dead. If you believe that, God says, you're saved. Do you you understand? I, I know I said we're almost done, and we are. But do you understand? If the devil can convince you that your salvation is based on something you've done, then he can come and convince you you really didn't do that right. Why, you, you only set three rows back. You didn't walk down far enough. You didn't let enough people know. Or, there's so much that he can come and cause question. But when you can fall back on the Word of God, and you can say, Lord, you said that I'm saved, and I guarantee you, there's not one of us that's doubted our salvation at some time. Right? Not one of us. But you come back and you say, God, your word tells me that what I need to do to be saved is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And Lord, I believe that. Now Satan, skedaddle. If you've got a problem with my salvation, you take it up with God. When I stand before the Lord, and if he says, Rick Owsley, why should I allow you into heaven? It's not going to be because I ask you to come into my heart or I prayed anything. Because I believed you died for me. I believe the tomb is empty that you rose for me. And it's faith that pleases God. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for that amazing gift of salvation. Father, we're thankful this morning for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we're thankful this morning that the tomb is empty. Father, we believe the tomb is empty. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who has ascended into heaven and He sits at the right hand of the Father. And Father, by virtue of us being in Christ, we are seated there in the heavenlies right this moment with Him. Father, we believe it. By faith, we accept it. Father, our faith, our confidence, our hope, our assurance is not based on anything we've done, but on your amazing grace to do what you said you would do if we believed. Father, all glory, all praise goes to you. And we pray these things in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.